Good morning. It is 9.01 on Monday, November 9th, and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Mondays and Wednesdays on at 8, 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on Community Pulse, we'll discuss an announcement by Boone County Hospital about their decision to consider making changes to their policies around elective surgeries, visitors, and staffing. They say they will likely need to increase their COVID unit capacity by early next week if the trends continue. We'll also take a look at some global and national news. And as always, our host, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, joins us by phone this morning. Dr. Alleman is a local family physician and host of Your Health Matters here on KOPN. Good morning, Dr. Alleman. Good morning, Mallory. I am just finding some difficulty uh, finding anything positive about our COVID rates and what's happening in our community as far as the virus. But I think we're going to see if we can. So we're going to delve into the, walk into the darkness here, and then we'll see whether we can find some national uh, uh, good news. That sounds great. Yeah, so... Cases are rising um, quickly, um, more quickly than they have um, during the entire pandemic. And, um, you know, the the rise in cases we saw in August was much more gradual than what we've been seeing in the last week or two. Uh, Our five-day average is higher than it's ever been at 168. Our test positivity rate is at um, 21.3%. And while nobody is giving um, official uh, they, I, my phone is reminding me that I need to call you. Okay. Um, no one, I'm not aware of anybody who is giving us official data about how the health departments are doing, but what I'm hearing sort of secondhand, my sense is that they are not able to respond. And even when they can respond, the community is not really stepping forward to, um, uh, support quarantine and isolation sort of the way we were in the beginning. And I think that that's a result of, um, people are getting tired. Um, uh, so, and the positivity rate of testing is the, it's a simple ratio. It's the number of positive tests divided by the total number of tests. And the higher that number is, um, the, in, the, uh, the higher it is, the likelihood that we're missing a lot of cases and our cases are much higher than we know. Um, and then there was this concerning, uh, report from Boone Hospital Center, um, See uh, a medical uh, officer, um, uh, Robin Blunt. And I'm going to see if I can find that. Sorry, I'm too many things open on my laptop. This was a uh, Boone Hospital Center medical staff COVID alert from November the sixth, um, <clears throat> and they're seeing an increase in hospitalizations and ICU cases, as well as staff issues due to exposure and um, illness. So. Um, Again, most of the healthcare uh, folks who are getting exposed are getting exposed at home or in the community, but um, also some are getting exposed from work. Like we talked about last week, we've got some data that shows that uh, healthcare workers who actually have in, uh, uh, frontline uh, contact with patients are more likely than other healthcare workers to be infected. Um, positivity rate uh, for the state of Missouri is 17%, and um, Boone and surrounding counties are higher. Uh, Boone opened a 20-bed COVID unit in September, and um, 
This week, that dedicated unit filled an overflow of these patients to other areas became necessary. So they had previously been keeping all their known COVID-positive patients in one ward, and now they are having to put them in with the general population. So they are having more uh, cases than they were prepared for. And a third or more of the ICU patients are now COVID-19 patients on an ongoing basis. These patients are very ill and require significant resources plus a longer length of stay in the ICU and in the hospital. So typical ICU stays are usually a week or less. Um, People are really sick and they either get better or they die. Um, And I'm not trying to, I'm I'm just being matter of fact about it. Uh, But COVID patients tend to um, uh, need to be in the hospital longer um, and it's just a recognition. It's just a quality of the disease. Um, Taking care of very sick patients in the intensive care unit often requires a one-on-one nursing. And then it's not just nurses. You know, the the people need respiratory therapists and doctors and specialists. And um, um, I am not listing all the numbers of healthcare providers uh, because the number of them um, uh, overwhelms me. But I am not meaning to leave anybody out by not remembering the titles of all the people who work in a hospital, but um, many, many people. And so all of those people have to stay well and be able to come to work. There, um, back to the, the, the statement, our ICU uh, step-down unit and medical surgical beds have frequently reached maximum capacity for many weeks. Between staffing challenges and sheer volume, we daily are turning away direct admits and attempting to transfer patients who need ICU beds out of our emergency department. Unfortunately, the entire state of Missouri is in the same situation, and so are surrounding states. They didn't say that part, but we can look at the the state maps and see that other states are having similar um, uh, case uh, numbers and rapid increases. So, um, back in the early days when New York City was in a big, big t- trouble, there were other parts of the country that were not in these problems and they could recruit staff from other areas of the country. There were several people from mid-Missouri who have traveled to either California or New York City or both, and there just aren't those resources now. So we sort of as a region are having a problem with staffing. Uh, locally, the v- Veterans Administration stopped elective surgery several weeks ago. They also added five medical surge beds and transformed their step-down unit to an ICU this week. Um, MU Healthcare has been on ICU capacity and bed hold frequently. They're likely instituting a plan to cancel some elective um, bedded surgeries next week. So that means the elective surgeries where the expectation is that the person would spend the night in the hospital so that they would need a hospital bed uh, may be deferred. And a lot of these elective surgeries are surgeries that can be safely um, delayed, like the person is not bleeding right now. Um, but uh, there are things like um, cancer surgeries and um, uh, joint replacements or um, uh, cataract surgeries. Um, so these are surgeries that people um, are going to be uh, have some stress about that. So um, they're asking everybody in the community to wear, well, actually, this is a, an internal document, so they're making sure everybody is um, trying to wear their PPE appropriately and continuously and um, uh, asking people to not do anything, their staff to not do anything that uh, delays uh, transfer of patients out of the emergency department. So this is a sobering um, 
a statement. I had been hearing rumors for some weeks, but not able to confirm it. And now it seems like that is really the case. The Boone County uh, Health Department uh, dashboard uh, has a statement that they're no longer publishing uh, bed availability data because they need to upgrade that in a way that will be more um, helpful. And um, that was interesting that we that we noticed that for the first time last week. So that is what I wanted to say about that. I'm trying to remember our outline, Mallory, what was the next thing we were going to talk about? Next, we were going to talk about the COVID infection in animals in Denmark. I oh, right. Okay. So before I get to that, I just want to remind people that there is a, um, a school board meeting tonight where the school board is being uh, hearing very loud voices from community members who um, are very uh, committed to having all the schools be open just as normal, having all extracurricular cap uh, activities happen as typical, everybody in person. So currently we have um, uh, the younger students in the elementary schools open and all students with an, uh, an IEP and some students in the vocational programs are in in-person classes. However, a couple of the uh, elementary schools have had to close because they don't have enough staff because of um, quarantine. Um, and they have very few um, people who are, they, they have a shortage of substitute teachers. Um, so, uh, and our bars are still open, our restaurants are still open, many movie theaters are still open, many things are happening. And what is coming up are a couple of things that are um, making me a little concerned. One is that uh, Thanksgiving is going to happen, which means people are going to gather and they're going to gather indoors and they're going to hang in a long time and they're going to eat and they're going to laugh and talk. These are likely spreading events. The other thing that's going to happen is our college students will travel. Uh, many people will travel, including our college students, and then the college then people will come back. So we're going to have a lot of mixing of various places and a lot of joining of households, and then we're going to do that again in December. Influenza is going to happen, and the CARES Act funding um, expires the end of December, which means that the free testing may go away, the extra um, staff at health departments will go away, and I'm sure there are many other things that are being funded by CARES Act money that I am not aware of. So, they, and as if all of that didn't concern me enough, the, there has been this interesting development among mink in Denmark. Apparently, Denmark is a, a place where a lot of, there's a lot of mink raising, I believe, for their fur. And there's a lot, so it's a, you know, like a confined animal uh, operation. So these mink are very congested. And apparently, this uh, COVID 19 has migrated from humans to mink. It has um, uh, uh, evolved and mutated, and now there is a, a documented cases of about a dozen humans who have been infected with that strain, probably back from the mink. And that may mean that we have a whole new virus, and we may be starting over with another virus. Um, currently, there are the uh, Danish government is um, going to kill all the most of the mink in the country, or a good number, millions of mink. Um, but there are no um, there's no talk that I can find of anybody saying that we're going to limit travel to and from Denmark or from any other places in Europe. Now, Americans can't go to Europe without quarantine right now, anyway. 
But um, as far as I know, Danish people can still come here and Danish pe- people can travel. And it's not the Danish people. People can travel across all these borders. So the borders are still very, um, uh, uh, what do I say? They're, tra- uh, they're allowing a lot of flow. So the virus can get through these uh, political borders. And so that's a concern we don't know yet. Um, the the what the the um, mutation is in these spike proteins for which the vaccines are being developed, and so it's possible that the human immunity that we've already built up, that you know, 10% or so of human uh, humans who are immune may not be immune to this new one, and we don't know yet. So that's the concerning thing. And what but, is what is so, this? Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. What does this mean for people with pets and, and dogs and cats? I remember that was a huge thing at the beginning of the coronavirus. Means, so far, it means nothing for them. Okay. So we have seen that the, there seems to be transmission from humans to dogs and cats, and we have not seen any transmission back from dogs and cats to humans. And we have not, as far as I know, seen any mutations. The other thing is that most people do not uh, have their dogs and cats in um, uh, facilities with hundreds or thousands of them all together. Right. Um, and it's usually um, cats and dogs sometimes wander neighborhoods and such, but they don't, um, they don't interact like migratory birds do. Mm-hmm. So, so at right now, I'm not hearing anybody be concerned about that, but I would welcome... Um, Information from the community, if that's something, I'm not an expert on that. And if there's more concern I should have about that, um, but I'm not aware of anybody. And this is a new thing from about the mink. Mm-hmm. Maybe something to continue to think about for confined animal feeding operations, though, which is something that we have all, all Absolutely. over. Yeah. Right. I mean, the thing is, if this were to happen in chickens or hogs in, or, or cattle in the United States, we'd be... Um, in a big problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, you know, concerning. And, um, but we've had some change in our political news. We have. And one of the things I have been um, disappointed about the whole time, trying to very clearly not politicize a pandemic, but that I have felt that there was a lack of leadership that would help us limit the spread of this virus on every level um, from uh, the international uh, community all the way down to my local city council. Um, And so what's happened is that we've had to sort of take a libertarian approach to this. That is that every person is needing to be their very own boss and make their very, find their very own leadership. And I think that that is exhausting and that most of us have other work to do and can't be following through with every detail of the Centers for Disease Control. Um, but so we're about to see a change in that. Um, we have a new president and vice president elect, and they have published a, they have appointed um, the leaders, at least, of a coronavirus task force. And they are well-respected. Okay, I don't know. I so far, it looks like these people have really some impressive credentials. So the people they have um, uh, uh, appointed are our former uh, Surgeon General, um, uh, Dr. Murthy, who um, I'm going to say, I went looking to see if I could find out something about him, and I found a video where he appeared with Elmo on Sesame Street. 
and he was um, captivating. His um, his credentials are impressive. He has started two international um, uh, aid organizations to respond to the AIDS crisis um, while he was in undergraduate school and again at medical school um, and has served as the United States Surgeon General. So this is somebody who has um, impressive uh, credentials. He was also had some courage. He was willing to take on uh, both vaping and um, gun violence as uh, public health issues um, and got a fair amount of um, heat for that. Um, the uh, other person is uh, David A. Kessler, who was a former FDA chair. And while he was head of the, Federal, uh, the Food and Drug Administration, he attempted to regulate tobacco as a, uh, as a drug. Um, that was not that was struck down by the Supreme Court. But again, it's someone who is willing to think out of the box and take a courageous step. So I hope that he'll continue to do that. And then uh, Marcella Munoz Smith, um, who is someone who is that's a new name to me. Uh, she's the uh, professor of medicine epidemiology at Yale and um, has done some uh, work, founded a. Uh, uh, Equity Research and Innovation Center trying to help uh, research uh, um, findings be more uh, quickly and easily um, trans uh, shared among people. Um, and she has uh, been interested in um, outreach to uh, Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands to overcome obstacles in testing, self-isolation, and quarantine. So she was interested and active in COVID response before she was appointed to this um, committee. And then I'm sure there will be other members of the committee, but for this to be the first announcement that um, this transition team makes before they announce any of their staff uh, assistance, um, is a, I hope it is going to uh, uh, be a predictor of uh, robust response and leadership on this um, on this topic. And people can look for those names. It looks like later today is when Biden has said that he'll announce the twelve-member task force by name. Okay. So, yeah. Soon so Wikipedia we'll already is updating the biographies of these people to say they've been named as the chair. So it'll yeah. These are these are developments that are happening on the on the go. And then I, they, um, they had also released their, um, their plan um, to respond to the, the COVID response. And uh, again, I don't want to politicize this. I happen to be very excited that they were elected, but I just really, as a physician, I, for my entire career, I've been hearing that maybe we would have a global pandemic it never occurred to me we would have a global pandemic where leaders like uh, Dr. Fauci were silenced and sidelined and that um, leaders on the national, state, and international level would uh, uh, fail to, to ask us to do the hard things. Um, so I think they're going to start to ask us to do hard things, and I, I'm ready for it. Um, they're also going to ask the government to do some things, and I don't know. I am not enough of a student of government to know how many of these things they can do and how much we need Congress to act. But they want to um, ensure that all Americans have access to regular, reliable, and free testing, and they want to increase the testing sites, and they want to also invest in next-generation testing, including home tests, instant tests, so that we can, so people can, we can have more capacity. 
um, and they are calling for a U.S. Public Health Jobs Corps. Uh, they want to fix personal protective equipment supplies, uh, supply chains. Um, they want to provide uh, evidence-based guidance and uh, resources for schools, small businesses, and families. And I think that this is a really important thing. I think that it is unfair and ineffective to, to require restrictions with also, without also providing support. So to close down bars and restaurants without giving them some support so that these businesses can survive and their employees can continue to have um, income is um, ineffective and, and unkind. And so I'm hoping that they really mean that. Um, and they also want to help uh, fund state and local governments to help prevent budget shortfalls. Uh, because I think that it's really difficult for a government, like it's hard for the city council to say we're going to close bars and restaurants when that's a significant amount of the city income and the city budget has its own tightness. Um, they want to fund schools for their response and uh, provide a restart package that helps small businesses cover the cost of operating safely. Um, they want to make a plan for equitable distribution of treatment and vaccines to make sure that everybody, not just wealthy people, um, get what they need. And um, so they're saying ensure everyone, not just the wealthy and well-connected in America, receives the protection and cure they deserve. It sounds like healthcare for all, but I, you know, I'll, I'll be happy if that happens. Um, they want to protect older Americans and others at high risk. They want to restore, and these are some things I think they can do, restore the National Security Council Directorate for Global Health, Security, and Biodefense, the pandemic response team that was um, reorganized in a way that gave it less power and funding uh, two years ago in the, uh, during the Trump administration. They want to immediately restore our relationship with the World Health Organization, and they want to relaunch and strengthen USAID. Um, and there's a pathogen tracking program called PREDICT. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to research it. Uh, they one of the more controversial things is they want to implement mask mandates nationwide. Now I don't think that the federal government can mandate masks, but and I, they seem to indicate that because they want to work with governors and mayors and asking the American people to do what they do best, step up in a time of crisis. So while they're saying they're going to implement mask mandates, I think they're going to encourage uh, more masking. Um, and uh, I hope that. Uh, these two people having worked in the Senate with um, uh, people who don't, are not in their state, same party can um, effectively communicate with uh, leaders to help them at least show up to be good role models. So um, that, that, that is one um, thing that has me um, hopeful. Another thing that has me hopeful is the um, press release that you just sent me a link to a Times article. I'm going to see if I can get pull that up. Um, that says that there's a vaccine that's had some success. Yeah, okay, I saw that this it. morning, the same time that I saw the announcement from Boone Hospital Center, and uh, it yeah. felt like a nice um, balance, at least, of of news. Right. So to be clear, this is a press release from a company and not a scientific study. So we will have to wait for the publication of the scientific study. And the minute there is one, I'll have our um, frequent guest, Sarah Davis, on to 
pull that apart uh, from a scientific standpoint. Um, so as the drug maker Pfizer announced on Monday, I guess that's today, an early analysis of its coronavirus vaccine trial suggested the vaccine robustly effective in preventing COVID-19. Um, so they, so this is, they developed the vaccine with German drug maker BioNTech released only sparse details from its clinical trial. So I, I'm waiting to see, uh, you know, I'm still, I, my, it's lifting my heart, but I'm not, I'm not going to. So she said, so Catherine Johnson, a senior vice president, head of vaccine research said, this is a historical moment. This was a devastating situation, a pandemic. Okay, I don't think any, it, uh, that increases my skepticism. But so I'm going to say that they are saying that the vaccine was more than 90% effective. And I think what that probably means is that they were, that 90% of people who got it developed uh, protective antibodies. And this is good news, apparently, also for the Moderna vaccine, which is um, similar. Uh, they're using a similar approach. And um, um the other thing is that they said that they that uh, Pfizer did not um, participate and did not take federal, any federal money to help pay for research and development. So that's another concern I have. We've never part of warp speed. We've never taken any money from the U.S. government or from anyone. My concern is that this will mean that they may be reluctant to provide the vaccine for free or at low cost uh, because they did not uh, receive uh, direct federal support. I will say, however, that there is nobody doing any scientific research anywhere in the world who has not benefited from the huge amount of money, not enough, but huge amounts of money that the United States spends on biomedical research. So there is no way that they didn't benefit from things that, that we, we the people all paid for and that other people around the world and non-governmental organizations have done to support it. But I, that in the press release um, raises a little bit of concern to me, but it's possible that we will have um, uh, that we will have some uh, some good news and a vaccine that is um, available to the public. Um, I can't say when. Uh, my guess is that we've got at least another year before we have significant number of people who are vaccinated. And um, one of the things I want to say is that we can rush many things. We can rush the production of a vaccine. But we cannot rush the time it takes to watch people in a population to see whether they get a side effect. So you can't rush that we want to wait and see whether people a year out from this vaccine have developed an autoimmune disease, for example. You can't rush that part. And um, so they are still, um, they've got 44,000 people in a trial, which is a big trial for a, 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 you know, it's a good-sized um, initial trial. But it is not the kind of trial that gives us the rare side effect profile. So um, personally, I am hoping that nobody will mandate vaccination for anybody until we have um, had a year of um, uh, population-based studies where, you know, once it's released, then we do like what we call them phase four trials. And that's where we see what happens in the, in the large population. And I think we need a year of that before anybody gets uh, forced to take a vaccination. And I don't know that anybody will listen to me about that. So um, I, it's good news. You know, there have been some challenges of like, ooh, we don't even know if we'll get a vaccine. So it looks like we have a vaccine, at least one. 
And uh, that doesn't mean that we have a vaccine that you can take now. So right now, what people can do is they can take their flu vaccination. This is a perfect time to take a flu shot. And there are many ways around Columbia that you can get one. And I just want to note that we um, had an episode on, well, we've had multiple episodes on vaccine development, but one specifically on this messenger RNA. um, Yeah. Tech, technology is that the right word i don't know yeah, what uh-huh. biotechnology be, yeah. so i will link to that in the show notes for today oh great um yeah 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 and we're just about out of time dr alman do you want to say anything else before we go yeah so i'm just going to say the hospitals are filling up don't count on them you're on your own um for taking care of yourself so be careful uh drive safely uh be careful with the sharp implements um uh, and uh, wear your masks. Encourage others to wear their masks. Be kind and sweet about it. Wear your masks. Wash your hands. Rethink your holiday uh, gatherings so that you, they are very thoughtful and intentional and um, smaller if possible. And uh, cultivate a cheerful confidence that you uh, can survive not only a virus, but all the stress that goes around it. Great. Thank you so much. I hope you have a good rest of your day, Dr. Alleman. You too. Bye. Bye. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. If you missed part of this program or want to share it with your friends, you can find it later today at KOPN.org and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Catch us again live on Wednesday at 9 a.m. with host Ginny Chadwick. Thanks again for tuning in to KOPN 89.5 FM. Between the Lines is up next. Stay tuned.